Well, good morning again. And <clears throat> it's it's been a um, it's been a good week, good week in the sense that how often do we get to study? I don't think we get to talk about the glorious Jesus Christ. We've been talking about Jesus, the divine Word, and how He was eternal, pre-existent. We've talked about over the last couple of weeks the fact that Jesus is the creator of all things. My prayer as we go through this gospel that, that you would grow in your knowledge, your walk, your intimacy with the Lord Jesus Christ as we get to see just a greater picture of who He is in this book. We think about Christ and we think about the Word the Word is life. John says last week, the Word is life. The Word is light. All life comes from God. Man can't create life. Life origins, its origins is from Jesus Christ. Man has been created by God. We see biological life, but we also have eternal life. Christ. There is a, an eternal soul that was created by God. It has an eternal destiny. And that destiny is either with God through Christ forever in His presence, or it is apart from God's blessing in a place that He's reserved for Satan and his demons. It's called hell. But what we see on our earth today, and, and it, it's appropriate that we, we think about general revelation, and Jordan is right, the, the glory of, of God's power was demonstrated in a, in a lightning storm. It, you can't help but feel so small when you see the lightning and hear the thunder and know that that's just one small storm, just one small, brilliant display of God's power in this universe. But yet, the world we live in is in darkness, it's only through the light of Jesus Christ that we see God's creation and we give Him glory. For mankind, all of man, is in darkness. The world we live is in darkness. And, and people see a thunderstorm and, and they dismiss it. They may talk about how beautiful the lightning is, but they don't say that, they, they don't look at that lightning and say, well, how beautiful is the Creator who created that beautiful lightning? those wonderful storms. Romans says that men suppressed the truth in their unrighteousness and their, their minds were darkened. You see, it is through Christ alone that in His light that illuminates the minds and the hearts of men so they can see the truth and understand the truth. John says in First John, sorry, John says in John chapter one verse five that the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not grasp it, comprehend it, overcome it. See, we live in a world when we think about darkness. What what is darkness? Darkness is the absence of light. Figuratively speaking, is a state of ignorance. Error, blindness in the, in the spiritual and moral level of mankind. Darkness, when we read about darkness in the book of John and the gospel, it's, it describes and it is a descriptive term relating to the fallen world that we live in. It encompasses everything and every person. And it's been that way since the fall of man. Ephesians 5.8, Paul says, You were formerly darkness, but now you're light in the world. Colossians 1.13, For He rescued us from what? The domain of darkness. Ephesians 6.12, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness. 1 Thessalonians 5.5, 5, For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. Proverbs 4.19, But the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. The world we live in is in darkness. 
The first century world was in darkness. Apart from the nation of Israel, all nations worshipped creatures, spirits, idols, things of their own making. They had darkened hearts and darkened minds, and they loved the darkness around them because they loved their sin. But in reality, even the nation of Israel was dark. They had replaced the light of the Old Testament scriptures, and they were led by wicked men who added rules and regulations to the the oracles, to the scriptures of God. The Sadducees were wicked men who were power-hungry and controlled the temple. The Pharisees were legalists who emphasized outward obedience over inward faith. And John is writing in that context. He's writing in the midst of this darkness for the common man and woman were weighed down by sin. They were weighed down by these ungodly and faithless leaders. They were searching for something, anything. Added to this was the oppressive rule by the Romans. And the time was ripe in God's providence and His sovereignty for the light to come. The light to bring hope in the darkness. You see, past week and storms, they reminded me when I was a child. They reminded me of thunderstorms. Reminded me of when the power would go out and the only light you would see is the flashing of the lightning through the windows and how, how dark it would be. But how, just what little light it took to illuminate the darkness. You see, John is describing this morning and as we're going to be looking at, we're going to be looking at the, the true light this morning. He's described Christ before his incarnation. He's described Christ as eternal and preexistent. And now John is entering into more and more specificity in his introduction, in his prologue to his gospel. And we're going to be looking at verses 6 through 13 this morning. And we're going to be looking at Jesus entering into his creation as the light. So we're going to be looking at the witness to the light. In John the Baptist in verses 6 through 8, and we're going to be looking at the divine light in verses 9 through 13. So let's go ahead and read the text this morning and we'll dig in. Verse 6, there came a man from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. And he was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. So the first thing that John wants you to see, the first aspect John wants you to see this morning, is he wants you to see the witness to the light. He wants you to see that there was a man, and his name was John. His name was John the Baptist. And what what about this man? Well, he was sent by God. The word sent is to entrust with a message, a specific task. This man was sent at a perfect time. He was sent by God. It was God's will for him to send John. Malachi 3.1, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Isaiah 43, a voice is calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert the highway for our God. You see, one thing about John is John was the last Old Testament prophet. We don't often think about it that way. You got a list of Old Testament prophets. How often would someone say John the Baptist? Because he's found in the New Testament writings, right? But he's the last Old Testament prophet. There had been... 400 years, a little over 400 years of time without any prophets, without any new revelation from God. But here comes John the Baptist. He's like Moses. He's like Isaiah and Jeremiah. He's, in fact, Jesus says he's the greatest man who ever lived. And he's great because he had the 
privilege and the responsibility of heralding the Messiah. Moses and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, they they looked towards the day in the future when the Messiah would come. But John is the last Old Testament prophet. He ushered in the age of grace and he was able to see the Messiah. You know, he's the only man, the only person in history to be filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb. He was special. Jesus says in Matthew 11, as I referenced, Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. By the way, Baptist wasn't his last name. He was John the Baptizer because he would baptize the Jewish people in the Jordan River. Now, we don't think much about this because when we come to Jesus Christ, we are baptized, professing believer's baptism. But for the Jews, the only people that were baptized were Gentiles. It was a signify a, a cleansing from sin, a, 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 a taking away or a, a turning away from past life to a new life as a, as a proselyte, as a, as a fear of God, a worshiper of God. And John was baptizing them because he was, he was baptizing them to... to Help them to to be ready for Christ. It was a picture of them repenting and and confessing and turn away from their sins. So we see the man, John the Baptist, but we also see his witness. He said there was a man who came from God, but verse 7 says he came as a witness. This is his ministry, to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was a witness. He, He had a message that pointed to the light. The message was, repent of your sins. Get your heart right. The Messiah is coming. And like I said before, he would baptize. But why did he come? Well, he came to testify about the light. He's pointing to Jesus. That was his ministry. That was his role. That was his mission. You see, John was a spirit-empowered bridge between the Old Testament and the New. John Calvin says he's the the herald of divine grace. But John, he didn't point people to himself. Even though he had large crowds that would follow him, even though he was baptizing many, and it was so many that the Jewish leaders actually came out and asked him who he was and what he was doing. But John pointed to Christ. Now, John is not giving a picture here this morning of, the all, of, of John's physical ministry. We'll talk about that later on. But he wants to give an all-inclusive picture and so that everyone would understand. Because remember, he's writing to a Jewish audience. And there were still John's disciples. You remember Aquila and Priscilla and Acts? They hadn't heard of anything but John's baptism. And Paul pulled him aside and said, well, let me tell you the next step. Let me tell you about the Messiah. John wants you to make sure sure you understand that that John the Baptist, even though he was great, even even though he did wonders and he had a huge crowd and a huge following, he was not the Messiah. John pointed and he testified and he witnessed to the light. And look at this. He says so that the purpose so that all might believe through him. He was, a, he was a man. He was an agent that God would use to bring about salvation. They weren't saved by him, but through his message pointing towards Jesus Christ. Now, I know some of you might say, well, what about, what about John 5? If John's not the light, why does it say in John 5, 35, it says, He was the lamp, speaking of John the Baptist, He was the lamp that was burning and was shining, and you were willing to rejoice for a little while in His light. Well, John is a reflective light. He had no innate light in himself. You think about reflectors on a bicycle or a car. You, you, the light shines on them, and oh, look, those lights. My kids are, look, look, Daddy, look at those lights. But we know they're not really lights. They're just reflecting the light of something else. See, John had no light in himself. He was only speaking about what he had been given. You know the interesting thing? When you, you think about Matthew, you think about Matthew chapter 11, 
and I, and I read verse 11 about John being the greatest. It's interesting that Jesus says that John is the greatest. He says in Matthew chapter 11, I'm sure I went to John. <laughs> it's like, why did it look right? When you go look at Matthew chapter 11, and you see what, what Jesus says, Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there is not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. But then he says, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. See, John died. He died before he saw the full plan of God. So the least in the kingdom has understanding we have understanding that John the Baptist didn't have, right? We, we've seen the fact that, through Scripture, that Christ died, sacrificed Himself for our sins, rose again on the third day, ascended to the right hand of the Father. We've seen that. And that's Jesus, Jesus is talking about here. For all John's greatness as a prophet, he never got to see the... the the goal of Christ's ministry, the end goal. Because he died. He was killed by Herod. So when you look at John, most, most world leaders, in a sense, they have an advanced man. I was reading this the other day about the elections and how, how it works when Trump travels or um, you know, different world leaders, prime ministers travel. They have all these advanced men. And they call them advanced men, whether they're women or not. They advance people that go out before them. And they're responsible for setting the stage and the lighting. And they're talking with the, they put up the backdrops. They talk with local politicians and, and they talk with local media. And they give them a foretaste of, of, of what the politician is going to be talking about and what he's going to be doing. Well, John the Baptist was the advanced man. He was the forerunner of Jesus Christ. He didn't promote himself. He called the Israelites to confess and repent of their sins. And when we see John the Baptist, we, we see what gospel ministry should look like. God has called us into gospel ministry. You realize that? Matthew chapter 28 says what? Go out into the world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to deserve all the things that I have commanded you. We, that's our responsibility. It's not just for the pastor. It's not just for the elders. It's not just evangelists on the mission field. It's our responsibility. And that's what gospel ministry is. And John is a picture of gospel ministry. He's sharing the facts, the evidences about Christ, why Christ came and what he did. John the Baptist didn't point to himself. He pointed to someone else because he wanted Christ to get the glory. So gospel ministry is not about us. Right? It's not about how many souls we can save or how many, how many people we share the gospel with and, and having a, a, an accounting of that. It's about being faithful. It's about being faithful to share the gospel with people around you. Christ has transformed your heart. It's good news. And John was sharing the good news. He was pointing people to the Savior because Christ alone dispels the darkness. It's our privilege. We don't have to deliver people. We don't save people. We're not spiritual advisors or coaches or priests or psychologists or even self-help gurus. We're just ordinary people. Right? It's been said that we are beggars sharing or telling other beggars where to find food. John the Baptist pointed towards Jesus without taking any glory to himself. That's our goal in gospel ministry. We, we want to help people. And, and, and the same purpose that, that John had in his ministry, the same purpose we have, what? It's so that they might believe through what? Through us. How do they believe through us? By us being faithful to share the gospel. As we'll find out, it's God who saves. What a weight that is. It should, should be a weight, sorry, what a, what a weight lifting idea that is. It should be a weight off your shoulders. You don't have to save people. You don't have to perform sacraments for people so they can have grace. You don't have to jump through hoops. You have to be real. Be honest. Share people what God has done in your life. Why you're not going to hell. What a wonderful good news that is. Right? So John the Baptist, so we see the witness to the light in verses 6 through 8. But we also see the divine light. John says, there was the true light in verse 9. 
which coming into the world enlightens every man. Now, the word there for true is genuine. Right? It, 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 it's John wants to present the real, the true, the ultimate Christ. Christ is the ultimate self-disclosure of God to man. Remember, I don't know if you, you, you've ever you know, stayed up late. We have these in the States, a lot of these like infomercials. You stay up late, you're watching you know, Fox News, you're watching uh, some show, and, and you're up, and these infomercials, infomercials come in, and they're like, hey, buy my product. And then over and over, you'll hear them like, oh, no, this is real. It's true. It's 100% genuine. Right? It's real leather. Trust us. Made from real cows or kangaroos. We're not sure. But it's genuine. It's true. That's what John's saying. Is He says that the, the, the light, the true light. And the reason he puts the true light is because we know they're what? They're false lights. There's, there's truth. Right? There's no other revelation of God but through Jesus Christ. As wonderful as creation is, man can never come to salvation through general revelation alone. Because man will always suppress the truth and the righteousness. He will see the wonders in this world. He will see the lightning and he will go, wow, that's beautiful. Hmm. Look at those electrons randomly coming together. Look at how the negative, negative forces and the positive forces come together and create that wonderful lightning. Isn't that cool how it's random chance? 1 John 2, 18, Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. So when you think about actual crisis is the real light, that's what religious systems in our world want to tell you, right? whether it's philosophy Where's animism? Whether what well, insert religious uh, religion here? They all want to tell you they have the light, they have the way of salvation, but in reality, they're just causing people to drop deeper and deeper into darkness, and that's Satan's goal. Paul says that when you worship idols, you're actually worshiping demons. But one thing about Christ also being, and this, this would be in a Jewish context, about Him being the, the true light, is you know, Christ is superior to the symbols and shadows of the Old Testament. Those Old Testament sacrifices, the Passover, the Day of Atonement, they pointed towards Christ. The, the, the tabernacle, the temple, points towards the true temple, the true tabernacle that is Jesus Christ who, what? He dwells among us, dwells among His people. He tabernacles in our hearts. Those shadows and those, those symbols are inferior to the true substance that is Jesus Christ. But John says he's not only the, the true light, but he came into the world. This is a, 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 just kind of a, a veiled reference to the incarnation because John is building up to verse 14. Verse 14, as we'll get in next week, and the word became flesh and he tabernacled, he dwelt among us. We saw his glory. He's building up to that. Right? So he's just kind of a veiled reference here that, that Christ came into the world. This is a Jewish term meaning just to be born. So God himself entered into his creation. It's his choice. He came himself. For Jordan, it's an heir's middle. Jordan practices Greek while he's taking a break. But it's, it, he chose himself to come into the world. It was a deliberate choice. So John is, is, is moving from the, the creative acts of God to the salvific acts of God. He's moving from the, the, the light, the, the bare glimpse of God that we see in his general revelation to the light coming into the world through Jesus Christ. He says that he gives life to who? He gives life to every man. Now, when he talks about every man, he's talking about every type of man. Not just Jews, but Gentiles, Greeks, barbarians, Aussies, right? Yes, even Americans, right? He gives light. Because Christ is the only light for men. When we see Christ, we see God as he truly is. And if you accept the light, you're saved. If you reject the light, you're judged. It's that simple. 
He gives light. It's objective truth because when Christ comes in and He illuminates the hearts of men, He exposes their true nature. Because you can't hide from the light of Christ. It exposes sin. It exposes man's wickedness. It exposes his idolatry. It brings it into the light. When you share the gospel with someone and you, and you talk about God saving us from our sins, and you start talking about, well, what is sin? And how it's an affront to holy God. What are you doing? You're exposing their sin. And what will they do? They will, either, they will run and hide. And they will hate you. And you see that in John chapter 3. Verse 18, he who believes in him is not judged, but he who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world and the men loved the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his evil deeds will be exposed. You see, people will flee the light of Christ. Some will believe and some will be saved. But people will flee. Because light, truth, when the illumination of Christ comes into a person's life, light either, it either hardens or softens. We see that even in, in, the, in the light of our world. Right? The light of the sun either, either softens or it makes something really hard. How people respond. I had this shed behind my house, and it was right near where we had a little creek that ran behind the house, and, and that shed would at times be full of these little water bugs. And I call them water bugs, and my wife calls them big roaches. But they, uh, they, were, they were big, and, and you'd go out there, and there's no lights in the shed, so you carry a little flashlight with you and a little torch, and you, you open the door and you turn the torch on, and what do you see? You guys know what I saw. What? Scurries. The book, scurrying around. What is it? They're scurrying to get back into the darkness. That's the light of Christ. Right? The light of Christ shined in the world while he was alive, and men scurried out of his way. And through us, the light of Christ shines. We're the light of the world. We shine by sharing the objective truth about who he is and what he's done, and people will scurry to get out of the way. You see, the light of Christ exposes the reality of people's condition before God. It divides, it offends. When you tell your family who, who are involved in religious activity that is false of any kind, you tell them that Christ is the only way, that, that you are saved only by what? Grace. God's unmerited favor. You're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone to the glory of God alone, and you'll see, if you haven't already, how quick you'll be separate from them, that there will be division. Whether it's friends of mine who are Catholic and telling them that, that the sacraments don't give you grace, and that if you die in your sins, you're, you're dead. There's no purgatory. There's no hope. That a priest can't save you. There's no last rites. Or telling friends of mine that are, you know, well, guys I knew in, in, uh, in high school, not when calling friends, that were, that were Mormon and saying you believe in a, in a false gospel. You're part of a, a false church. Reckon that, that that's offensive? Right? It's not me being offensive. It's the truth that's offensive. The truth divides. The light separates. By the way, light and darkness... They can't coexist, right? It's light. You see any darkness in here? We see shadows. There's no darkness. Light and darkness can't coexist. That's what Paul says when you, you marry who you want in the Lord, but why are you going to marry an unbeliever and be yoked to someone who's in darkness? This is a simple application. See, light and darkness can't coexist. And if you have an understanding of Jesus Christ and you know who He is, that He is God, He's Lord and Messiah, then you have responded to the light in faith and obedience. Praise God. So we see the nature. This is the nature of the light. The nature of the light in verse 9. 
Now, I want you to see the rejection of the light. Look down at verses 10 and 11. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. And he came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. So we see the rejection. We see the rejection by the world. He was in the world. He's talking about the incarnation. Christ was physically there. God came to earth in flesh. The invisible God was made visible. He had three years of ministry, of works and wonders and miracles, and we have those recorded in the Gospels. It was a historical event. Josephus, secular historian, other Roman historian, Roman historian, excuse me, they referenced Jesus Christ. He was a historical person. He really existed. He came. He was in the world. There's no denying that fact. What people deny is the reality of who he was, the truth. And he says, and John just reminds you real quick in verse 10, he says, oh, and the world was made through him. So it owed Christ, the world owes Christ its, its what? It's reverence. It's worship. He's the creator of all things. Just a quick reminder there. But John says, the world was made through him and the world did not know him. And he's talking about the world, he's talking about all of mankind, all the world that lies in darkness. And the word there for know is, is understanding and responding in faith and obedience. It, it's an it's a intimate know. It's not just knowing facts about Christ. We know facts about Christ. But it's knowing him on a personal relationship level. The world can perceive his, his existence, but they will not worship him. The world will not submit to his lordship. So he's talking about intimately knowing. But what this does, and if you think about it this way, this this demonstrates so clearly the depravity of man, right? The Lord was in their midst. He was talking to them. The, The invisible became visible. The the full revelation of God was on earth walking among them. And they rejected Him. He illuminated their natures. He brought to light who they were and what they needed, their condition. And the only way of salvation. And they didn't like it. They loved their sin. They loved the darkness. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. And who can understand? You see, when people reject Christ, their depravity is on full display. How wretched is it a person that they reject Jesus Christ, reject their Savior, the Creator? And as the world rejects Jesus Christ, it plunges deeper and deeper into darkness. You look at our world today and the the, the framework of Western society that was built on Christ. Even, even in, a, in, a, in a general sense, biblical ethics and biblical principles has slowly been, been purposely unraveled over the last 50 years, the last 100 years. And as societies reject Christ, as they reject God, they go, what, they go deeper and deeper into darkness because men will worship something. We will always will worship something. And if we don't worship God, we don't worship God through Christ, we will worship something else. For most people, it's themselves or science, right? Or this earth. 1 Corinthians verse 18 of chapter 1 really speaks to the way the world looks at, the way the world looks at everything, pretty much. When we go and share the gospel and this is Paul's, Paul's response or Paul's experience, and that experience is still consistent today. He says, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For, I were, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. And Paul says, where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom in this world? For listen to this, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. 
So in all the world's wisdom, they can't know God. God's ordained this. Apart from Jesus Christ, no one can know God. No one can know true salvation. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. The world looks at the message of Jesus Christ as foolishness. But if God says, oh yeah, you think it's foolishness, but it is the true way of salvation. Said, for indeed, Jews ask for signs, Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To Jews it is a stumbling block, and to Gentiles it is foolishness, but to those who are the called, us, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. See, the world, the world rejected the light, that's what John says. They rejected the light. And the sad thing is, is not only did the world in general, but even gets more specific in verse 11. He came to his own, and those that were with his own did not receive him. You know, the Jewish people had a special and have a special relationship with God. They were under covenant relationship with Yahweh. Right? They were to be a light unto the Gentiles. They were in covenant, loving relationship with the God who created all things. As a special people God set apart for Himself, they had the law, the prophets, the temple, the covenants, the scriptures. They should have known and been expecting Jesus Christ. But John says they did not receive Him. Again, they did not receive Him to know Him, to know Him by experience, to be familiar with Him in love and worship. Jesus used that same word in John 14, 3, I will come again and receive you to myself, speaking about us. They didn't receive him. And, and just so we're clear, John says they did not receive him. This is the, a decisive action by the people. Isaiah 65, 2, I have spread out my hands all day long to rebellious people who walk in the way which is not good according to their own thoughts. Or how about this? The Jewish leader speaking to Pilate in John chapter 19, verse 15, Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. He came to his own and they rejected him. They rejected the light. They rejected their Messiah. They rejected their king, their Lord. They had the greatest advantages. Think about this. They had the greatest advantages over any nation in the earth. They had the light. This is the, honestly, you're talking about an illustration of depravity. This is the greatest illustration of depravity in human history. Jesus was the light, the Messiah. He confronted their sin, but they rejected him with prideful uh, self-sufficiency in their heritage, believing that they were, they were going to be special or they were special because they were sons of Abraham. Then their self-righteousness, they hated him, they rejected him. They wanted a, a political deliverer. Like the judges in the book of Judges, they didn't want a Savior to deliver them from their sins. And they rejected the light. They rejected Jesus Christ. Brethren, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised if when you're sharing the gospel and you're telling others about the light of Jesus Christ in your life and, it, and your relationship with Him and your hope in Him, that they reject you and they scoff and they think you're foolish. If his own people rejected him to his face, how can we expect anything less? People want to come to Christ on their own making. They want to redefine Jesus Christ into their own image. A Christ, a God that pleases them and that looks like them and that, that is not too demanding or causes them to have to change their lifestyle. sad as that is, that his own people reject him. John, John doesn't leave it there. Praise God he doesn't leave it there. Look, look down. So not only do we see the, the nature of the light, we see the rejection of the light, but in verses 12 and 13, we see salvation of the light. Verse 12, but as many as, now that's a but, really strong adversative here, but 
As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. But God. How many but gods are there in Scripture? Right? Ephesians 2 is the most famous one. We were dead in our trespasses and sin with no hope but God. What? God entered his creation. You see, verse 12, as many as received him. He's talking about personal trust and submission to Jesus Christ. And he uses two terms, and he he uses those synonymous. He says, but as many have received him, to those who believe in his name, they're synonymous. They're the same thing. You you receive, you, you believe, you understand the message of who Christ is, of your own sinfulness and your need for a Savior. And what do you do? You believe, you, you place your, your trust, your allegiance, your hope in Jesus Christ as the only means of salvation. You see, they had personal trust, but they also, look, God gave. He gave them the right. He's talking about grace here. God reconciled him to himself. He gave them. Colossians 1.13, He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. By the way, and He's given us exalted status. John says that He gave them the right to be what? Children of God. In the Old Testament, the, the Jewish people looked on God as their father and they were His children, but that was in a, in a creative sense. God created them. They were his children. God set them apart as a nation. And, and so it was a, he created their nation in a national creative sense. We have the privilege of becoming God's own children in an intimate relationship with him. And we have the right. That word right means the, the full authority to that title. How wonderful is that? That you can call yourself a child of God. Not by creation, biology, but by salvation, by being an adoptive child, Ephesians 1. What a wonderful picture, right? For for those of you that either are adopted or have adopted or know people that are are adopted or trying to adopt, what a wonderful picture. You you take someone who's not biologically yours and you make them part of your family with all the rights and privileges, You're a child of God. You have an inheritance. It's undefiled, unfading, and will not perish, reserved in heaven for you. 1 Peter chapter 1. So we have a change in status. We've gone from death to light, from darkness, sorry, death to life, darkness to light. Children of the devil to, to children of God. We're born again into God's family. And that's our true nature, the true nature of everyone who believes. And we can call our God Father. Do you realize the Jews, they would not call God Father. So when when Jesus was teaching his disciples how to pray, it's not the Lord's Prayer, it's the disciples' prayer. When he teaches his disciples how to pray, what does he say? Our Father who art in heaven. The Jews would have found that offensive. They didn't call God Father. We can call God Father. Why? Because we have been changed. We've been born again. We are children of God. See how James is transitioning here in in all this depravity and rejection. He's saying, but, but wait. Some believed. What did they believe in? said they believed in his name. When you read his name, it's talking about the whole person of who, who Christ is. It's more than the label. They truly believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that he's Lord, and that he's Savior, and that he's God. Acts 4.12, salvation exists in no one else, for there is no other name, what? Under heaven, by which we must be saved. Right? The name of Jesus. But John wants to make sure it's very clear. Okay? Because yes, we receive Christ. We believe in Christ. But lest we think that it's totally man's doing, John wants to make very clear that it's not. Look down in verse 13. Okay. Who were born not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. 
See, it's not earthly means. And he uses three distinct phrases so there would be no doubt that it is not man's doing, that we can't save ourselves. He says, not of blood. It's not your natural descent. It's not your ethnicity, whether you're Aussie or American or, or Indian or South African and on and on and on. It doesn't matter what's in your blood. In other words, what ethnicity you came from. It doesn't make you part of God's family. And that would have been hard in this context because the Jews believed because they were Abraham's children, they were special. You can't join the new covenant by birth. Some denominations teach that that when you're born, you join the new covenant community and you can have a a new covenant community that's that's mixed, that's believers and non-believers. The New Testament never teaches that. The New Testament teaches that you you join the new covenant with God. In other words, you you come into a saving relationship with God through Jesus Christ at, at your new birth. Our kids aren't part of the new covenant community. And it's hard. I mean, I'm a parent, and I can tell you, I'd love to... Well, my, my fundamental prayer is that my kids would come to know Jesus Christ. It's my desire. It's more than, you know, more than I desire anything else in my life, is that my kids come to know Jesus Christ. To this end, I, I surround them with truth. I speak truth. I show them grace. I teach them the gospel and their need for Jesus Christ. I show them that Christ has changed my life and he can change their hearts as well. And I trust God. I have to trust God for their salvation. I can't save them, much as I'd love to. Our blood relationships don't, don't mean anything when it comes to Jesus Christ. You know who, what, what really means the most is this right here. This is the family of God. We are all children of God. We are part of the body of Christ. I'm not saying your physical, earthly relationships don't matter, but this is the eternal relationship. This is the eternal family or forever family. So you had all this Jewish pride in their relationships, and it didn't matter. John says, not of, not of earthly means. It's not of blood. And then he says, it's not of the will of the flesh. It's not, and that literally means from physical desire. He's saying that, that you can't produce more children into the kingdom. We don't populate the kingdom of God through our offspring. I've actually heard people say that, that we just have to have more kids, and as Christians, we can, we can overcome the, the, the world and all the darkness. I'm like, well, you're just producing more, you know, darkened darken hearts. We're there depraved kids, little vipers and dirty diapers, as one of my professors used to say, right? They, they need salvation just like everybody else. John also says the will of man. And I think this is, this is key. As much as we desire our friends, our family, to come to know Jesus Christ, just because we desire it doesn't mean it's going to happen. We can't bargain with God. We can't pay God. Psalm 49, verses 5 through 9, speaks about the, the rich man and his attempts to buy his salvation from God and how that's impossible. We can't... We can't wheel ourselves into the kingdom. Can't wheel someone else into the kingdom. See, John's making it really clear. And then he says how it's done. He says, look, it's not any of those things, but it's God alone. It's another strong adversative here. He's saying, but it's God. God saves. Right? Sinful men are born again through regeneration. John, James 1.8, if you remember from James, in the exercise of his will, he says, caused us to be born again through the word of truth. Literally in Greek, he says, he borned us. I know it's not a good English word, he borned us, but that's what it means. He caused us to be born again through the word of truth. 1 Peter 1.3, he's caused us to be born again through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. See, the new birth is a miracle. God steps in and He changes our hearts. He transfers from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. He makes us children of God, His children. John 6, 44, No one can come to me unless the Father, sorry, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. 
So here in these last two verses, we have a really clear picture of salvation. Men and women, we must receive Christ, we must believe in Christ, we must receive Christ as Lord and Savior. And the call goes out to believe, to repent. But just know that God has to work in people's hearts to draw them to himself. Right? That, should, that should lift some weight off your shoulders when it comes to sharing the gospel with people you know and you love. Pray for them. We see that salvation is only accomplished through God. It's not means of birth. It's not means of blood. It's not means of desires and schemes of man. Those who come to the light are drawn by God out of the darkness. That's why they're, then they're regenerated. They become new creatures in Christ. That's the whole term, what it means to be born again. You profess your allegiance to Christ as, you, as, your, as His Lord, excuse me, as your Lord and, and Savior. You forsake your sin and know that you've been changed from the inside out. Do you believe that? Question. Well, my prayer today is, is that your heart would not be hardened in the deceitfulness of sin. Your heart would not be hardened in unbelief. That you, that you would respond to the light of Christ, not by running away and cowering and, and not dealing with the sin that's in your heart. But that you would believe. That you would trust in Christ. And if you don't know Christ here today, I, I, I urge you to repent. Believe. Believe that He saved you from your sin. Understand that you're a sinner, first of all. That you need a Savior. And that Christ is the only way of salvation. And believe in Christ. Receive Him as Lord and Savior. Knowing that He sacrificed Himself for your sin. And then there's no other way. There's no other name under heaven which you're saved. Place your faith and your trust in Him. If you have any questions afterwards, feel free to, to speak with me or one of the other elders. We'd love to share with you the gospel of Jesus Christ in far more detail and answer your questions. But for those of you that are born again here this morning, I pray that you would what? That you would walk in the light, as Paul says in Ephesians. We're no longer in the darkness. We're no longer to, to, to do the deeds of darkness. We're to reject Him. We're to walk in light. We're to be truth. We're to be light. We're to be salt in this world, this dark world that, that needs Christ above all. Do you love Christ more than anything? Do you love Christ more than anyone? Have you allowed idols in your heart, the things of this world, to creep in? Only you can answer that question. I pray that you would remember that it's your responsibility, it's your privilege to be able to share the light with those around you. Trust Christ to give you the words, to give you boldness, be faithful, and know that it is God who saves. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the lights. Thank you for your grace. Lord, we see in your word just how the light illuminates this dark world. And really, there are two responses. We see people flee and cower and reject the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see others that understand and believe and place their faith and trust in him. Lord, I pray for those that are here that we would be bold witnesses for you. Lord, that we wouldn't draw attention to ourselves, but promote the one true Savior and the one true Lord, that is Jesus Christ. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that you've saved us, that you've caused us to be born again. And we thank you for that salvation, and we glory in it. Lord, what a wonderful time this is and has been around your word. We just pray most of all that you would be glorified in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.